Heavenly Father, we together desire to hear from you tonight by your Spirit. We desire to not just understand what you have written by your Spirit, but to have these words that you've given us impact us on a transformational level. We desire that we would not just understand and know and hear, but do and act and live out these words that you have given us that are life. Help us, please, in these moments. May you give us a gripping attention. Would you give us focus? Would you break us where we need broken? Would you lift us up where we need lifted up? Would you encourage us where we are down? And would you push us where we need pushed? Holy Spirit, only you know where everyone is at in this room. And so would you do your mighty work? And may it all be transformational that we might be moved further into the image of Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So this is, as I said, the last message in our 10-part series, Do You Love the Church? And here's what it's going to be. It's going to be, where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? So now we have six steps clearly laid out through this series, and you can know tonight exactly where you're at in those six steps. So by the end of the message tonight, you'll, you'll know, oh, I'm at three. I'm not even at one. Oh man, I'm right at five. So tonight is where do you go from here? Where are you at? <laughs> where do you go from here? So let's begin. Three points. Where have we been? Where are you? And three, the church of God. The bulk of our time is going to be on the first point, where have we been? And then we're going to quickly move through the last two points. So don't get afraid if you're like, man, we've been forever in that first where have we been. Because it's going to be a summary of every single message so far with a different twist. And so let's begin. Where have we been? Well, we've looked at the first two messages on the body. Are you connected or disconnected from this local church, the body? This local expression of the body of Christ. Secondly, we looked at prayer. Are you praying for and with your local church? Are you praying for and are you praying with the people in your local church? Number three, we've talked about spiritual gifts and serving with the gifts and makeup and personality that God has given us. Are you serving the local church? Number four, we talked about membership, committing formally to the church, not just its people, which is the church, but its leaders for shepherding and accountability and discipline. Five, we looked at cheerful giving. Are you giving to the local church? Are you giving of your time, your talents, your treasures? And are you together with the rest of the church on mission? And sixthly, we looked at elders and deacons. Who are the leaders of the church? Now, as you know, that was not necessarily the order of every message, but those are the six things that we've covered, and that is your steps to maturity in this church. You'll know where you're at going through each step. So, number one, the body. Romans 12, 4 to 5. Oh, that's not. That's our logo. Um, so, I forgot that this was going to be one of the points. Uh, Eternal City Equip is the season that we're in. And listen, here's what I don't want, guys. I don't want you to just be like, I'm glad that series of messages was over. And be hearers of the word and not be doers of the word. That's not what we're called to. I don't want you guys to be consumers just sitting every week consuming a message and then going home and then coming back next week. Now listen, I want you to grow. I want you to understand the word, okay? So if you're doing that, I'm not saying you got to leave, but I want more from you. Jesus wants more from you, okay? Here's what I used to do. Many of you have been with me for 10 plus years. 
some of you five plus years, and you used to come to a Bible study, you used to come to a service, and I used to be like, you are doing fantastic. You are growing like crazy. You are showing up. And I'm sorry, but I encouraged you in the wrong way. I encouraged you to be a consumer, to just show up, to listen, to hear, and to leave. (laughs) We need to be not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And I want you guys to realize that, listen, God's design for your growth is the local church. That's his design. It's not you in isolation with a massive library of theology or a massive collection of sermons or a podcast list that's so extensive. It's not his plan for your growth. His plan for your growth is you being connected to a body of believers where you get to rub shoulders with other sinners that bring out your sin and then you need to repent and forgive and act like you've been acted upon. And you need to submit... I know this is a, it's a crazy word in our culture. How dare you say that S word? Submit. You need to submit because it's biblically commanded. You need to submit to leaders who are qualified and called and commissioned by the Holy Spirit to lead a body of believers. We're going to get there. But listen, showing up and consuming is not what God has called you to do. And I don't want you guys to show up on Judgment Day and him be like, what'd you do with your life? Like, you weren't committed to anybody except for you and maybe your immediate family. So we want you to commit to a body of believers. It doesn't have to be here. Like, find a body of believers that is preaching the gospel, that is committed to the word of God and who is loving and trying to disciple and say, I'm in. And commit to them. It doesn't have to be here. But it does need to be somewhere. God doesn't have uh, vagabonds, wanderers. God's not called us to asceticism where we go into a cave and hide out with a bunch of books. And emerge 30 years later with a beard down to the ground. Groan. I'm so mature. No, he he designed you. So, So we often would say this. Marriage is a sanctification machine. Being parents is a sanctification machine because it brings out your sin like nothing else. Amen? Amen. Like, it, listen, it is easy. It's easy to be a Christian in isolation. I am bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit like none of you. I'm so holy and sanctified. Okay. You're in isolation. That's what's going on. Because <laughs> you get around someone else who's a sinner, and guess what? Everyone else is a sinner. And eventually, you're going to headbutt them, and they're going to headbutt you. And then you're going to have to choose, do I run away, or do I forgive? And do I reconnect? And do I act the gospel as the gospel has been acted upon me? You need a body to do that. Can't do it in isolation. All right, that's a long introduction. Equip. We are here to equip you to do all that I just said, and we have a six-step path laid out for you for maturity. All right, the body, Romans 12, 4 to 5. For as in one body, we have many members or parts. It could be translated parts. You get the image, nose, eyes, some of you beard, toenails. You have a body that has many different parts, Yet, it's one body. And the members do not all have the same function. You're all different. And that's by God's design. God loves different. God loves different. He hates sameness. God doesn't want you to be anyone else. And He doesn't want you to try to be anyone else. He wants you to be you for His glory. Because He made you, you, and not them. Amen? Yet he wants you to be you connected to a body. So God doesn't want the hand to be the nose. That would be weird. You touch everything and smell it. So, verse 5. We, though many, many parts, many different people with many different gift sets and many different backgrounds, we, though many, are one body in Christ. One body universally, but locally, we're also 
a picture of that body. And listen, individually, members of it. You are called by God to be in a local body of believers. And God wants us to look different. Isn't that fantastic? Like, He wants variety. He wants different. He doesn't want sameness. He doesn't want us all dressing the same. He doesn't want us all looking the same ethnically. He doesn't want us all liking the same music or movies. He doesn't want us all the same age. He wants a young 20 urban hip-hopper to be sitting next to a 60-year-old Western country lover and, and enjoying sweet fellowship. That's what he wants. God loves different. He loves diversity in unity. He loves it. That's what he calls us to. And that's what we want to see in this local church. We want the world to come in here, wherever we're gathered, scattered, out there gathered, or gathered in here for worship on the Lord's Day, and say, this is a strange bunch. They look strange, and they act strange, because they're so different, but yet they're so loving to one another. Can we be that church? Let's be that church. So are you a part of the body, this body locally? You can't be a part of the local body unless you're a Christian because you're outside the body. So one body in Christ and individually members of another. So that means I am a member of Tyree. And as weird as that is, Tyree's a member of me. Like we can't be separated because we're one body. We're the body of Christ. And so if Tyree's hurting, I am in one sense hurting. If Brett's hurting, I am in one sense hurting. Just like when I stub my toe, my brain feels it and my mouth exclaims it. The tongue's involved and the words and the vocal cords are involved in that toe getting hurt. All right? So the body. Are you connected to the body? Number two. This is... Ephesians 4, 11 to 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. That would be uh, gifts and offices. The apostles sent ones. The, the, the capital A apostles, no more. The 12 minus Judas plus Matthias plus Paul, that office is closed. There are no more capital A apostles. There are small A apostles. That just means sent ones missionaries, church planners, trailblazers, the gift of apostleship. They go out and start new works. That is a legitimate gift. Small a. Prophets. These would be people who not only speak the word, but I would argue have an extreme discernment. Extreme discernment that might look to some supernatural. You know the story when Spurgeon was preaching and he looked out into, the, into his congregation and said, someone has stolen a pair of white gloves off their employer and they need to return it immediately. And a young man entered into Spurgeon's office after the sermon, trembling in fear, saying, please don't tell my master. That's what we're talking about. Extreme discernment to know things that you probably shouldn't know. How did Spurgeon know that? And Spurgeon has many stories like that. You can look them up. So prophets, evangelists, these are the people who cannot help but just tell people the good news of Jesus continuously and constantly. They're looking for an in in every conversation. The shepherds, this would be the pastors. It's the only uh, verse that you could get pastors from in the New Testament. And what does a pastor do? They shepherd. Teachers, they're ones who teach the word. You can have pastors who are teachers, but you can have teachers who are not pastors, like seminary professors, okay? What do they do? Well, they equip the saints, that would be every Christian, equip for the work of ministry. The saints are the ministers. So listen, if you're a Christian, that makes you a minister. God has called you in this verse to do ministry, So the question is not, am I a minister? The question is, am I doing the ministry or am I ignoring who I am? To equip the saints for ministry. If you're a saint, you're a minister. 
If you're a Christian, you're a saint. For what? For the building up of the body of Christ. What's the body of Christ? It's us. So the leaders are to equip you for the building up of the body. Now, most of you look at me and and you think my job is to build up the body. It's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that my job is to equip you to build the body up. You don't believe me. Ephesians 4, 15 to 16. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part, that's you individually, is working properly. If you're just sitting there, you're not working properly. So when each part is working properly, what happens? Makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So the body is to build itself up in love. The Bible doesn't call the pastor, teacher, the evangelist to build up the body. He calls those people to equip the body to build itself up. And so the question is, are you a part of the body? Like, are you doing this? Are you building the body up? Now, this is important because when we speak the truth in love, it says we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. We're predestined to be conformed in the image of Christ, Romans 8, 29. How do we do that? It says we speak the truth in love. What does that mean? Well, look, 16 to 21, just a few verses down the page, Assuming that you have heard about him, that's Jesus, and were taught in him, that's Jesus, as the truth is in Jesus. So a way that we interpret things that might be fuzzy is if we don't know what speak the truth in love, we find in the same vicinity, the same context, the same word, speak the truth in love, as the truth is in Jesus. And okay, now we know what that means to speak the truth in love. The truth as it is in Jesus is the gospel. And the entire scriptures speak about Jesus. That's what he said himself. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he expounded himself. John chapter 5, you diligently search for eternal life, yet these are the scriptures that speak of me. Old Testament. All the Bible is connected to Jesus, and so what are we to do? We're to understand the Bible, yes, but we're to understand it through the lens of the gospel. You were to have gospel glasses on as you read and minister the text. It's not to be in isolation. It's to be through the lens of the gospel, through the filter of the gospel. That's speaking the truth in love. And every sermon, if you pay close attention, I am doing that. And part of the reason I'm doing that is because I want you to learn how to do that. How to take every concept, every chunk of scripture, and see how it connects to the gospel. And it all does. So, the body builds itself up in love. When? When it's working properly. What is it doing when it's working properly? It's speaking the truth in love to one another. And serving one another. We'll get there in a moment. So, do you have time to commit to your church body? That's a good question. I made this little chart. You like that? You have 168 hours per week. Did you know that? And I I just wonder sometimes if God's going to add up all our hours and then do one of these. And be like, here's your life. So I, I was very generous with your hours. I said that at the church gathering, you spend four hours, probably because you got to get there and come and, and, you know, you guys hang for a little bit before and after. So I gave you four hours. Then I said that you sleep about eight hours a night times seven. That's about 56 hours. I know some of you aren't sleeping eight. Work, I gave you 10 hours a day, five days a week. That's 50 hours. And then eating, if you eat a half hour three times a day, 11 hours. And then that would give you 47 other hours in the week. Now, I know that your week looks different from every other person you're sitting next to. But listen, if that is 47 hours, you got some time to connect with the body and to minister. Amen? 
If you're like, I don't have any time, it's because you don't realize that you're called to it, one, and two, that you're using your time maybe in a way that's wasting your time. Maybe. Because we are going to have to give an account for our lives. And if God calls us to be connected to the body and to minister to the body so that it builds itself up in love, so that it grows and matures into the, the head who is Christ himself, then we need to commit to the body. So what would that look like, you committing to the body? Well, it, it's very simple in our context for now. It's, you, could, you could connect in Bible study with Jackie if you're a lady on Tuesday night. How many hours, Jackie? Maybe three? So two hours, and we'll, we'll give you three, half hour driving. So knock off three hours out of that 47, you got 44 left. You could maybe commit to a gospel-centered community once a week. Now, I know some of you guys are so rowdy that that's like a six-hour event, and that's cool. But listen, it's supposed to be like three hours max, like half hour driving there, half hour driving home, and then two hours to get done the, the discipleship material and pray for one another and eat some food and, and jet out. Okay? If you want to go past three hours, that's fine, but it doesn't need to be more than three. Okay? That's, it's up to you guys if you love each other that much that you're like, we're doing six to eight hours. That's cool. <laughs> Do your thing. But that's a way to connect to the body. In fact, I would say that's the way interpersonal discipleship by being connected to a weekly body, even when you don't want to go. How many of you have gone when you just didn't want to go? How many of you have hosted it when you just didn't want anyone to be around you? Yeah, amen. That's real. Because when you're committing every week, you're saying, I am committed. And it's inconvenient and it's glorious. And God chooses to mature us in that way. And so he, he says, you know what? When you're ultra grumpy, and you want to slap someone, that's the perfect time for you to be around the rest of your local church body so that they can bring you up out of that or so that they can get slapped and then you can repent and ask for forgiveness and then they can exercise forgiveness as they've been forgiven. Amen? That's God's design. His design is that we rub off on one another and mature one another. And, and the way we love one another is we are transparent and confess with one another. And then we pray for one another and we care for one another. And if there's a need in the gospel center community, that community comes around and meets that need. It's pastoral without maybe there even being an official pastor there. Okay? So I, I want you to see, I know this is general, but the excuse, I don't have time, is just that. It's an excuse. You have time. It's just, what is your priorities? What is your, like, if Netflix is your priority, you're going to get that done. And I don't know how many hours you spend on the TV, but listen, I can assure you that it's much more eternally weighty to commit to the body than to watch Netflix. That has eternal implications. I'm not saying it's wrong to watch Netflix or to go to the movies or to, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying what's the priority? Your time will prove it. Okay, committing to the body. Number, number three. Um, you know, before we go there, let me, let me just say this too. And here's one more thing that we're going to do. We, we, we've been doing it on a small level, but we're going to officially implement it. Someone in your gospel-centered community um, is going to link up with you and you link up with them for a at least half-hour call per week. And this is beyond the group caring for one another. This is you being directly cared for by someone else and that's someone else directly caring for you. It's you confessing. It's you being transparent. It's you saying, man, I am busted on this week or I screwed up big time or I am struggling hardcore. And then that person also confesses where they are struggling, where they are messed up, where they have messed up. Or they, they might say, I'm really encouraged. And then you pray for one another and you care for one another and you keep each other accountable. You know, I have been doing that for at least a year now. Uh, it's, it's every week, maybe with the exception of one or two weeks. And it's, it's, it's good for my soul. It's good for my soul. It really is. 
And so we're going to make that official and we're going to uh, figure out that structure of how that can work. But here's one more thing before we, before we move past and go to prayer. Here's what I want you to think about. What could you integrate? Like you do things every day of the week that you could probably include the body in. You ever think about that? So, so you eat a lot of meals, three times seven Three meals a day, seven days a week. That's a lot of meals. That's 21 meals. Do you think you could include someone in the church in that, in one of them? And then you could have 20 for your family? Maybe. Do, do you think that it's possible that while you're at work, now some of your work is different, but I know some of you have downtime, some of you have time in the car, some of you could call someone in the church and, and say, hey, how you doing? Like you have a commute there and a commute home. And I'm not saying you, you drive one wheel. I'm saying there are headphones that you can talk into. There's Bluetooth. There's cars now that you can talk and into the air and that hears you. There, there's ways you can get this done safely. And so you're doing something anyway in that time. Why not include someone in the body? You, you go out to the movies with friends. You have parties at your house. Why not include the body? So what this looks like is there's things you're already doing. I'm not asking you to necessarily add a thousand things to your already busy life. I'm saying include the body in your busy life. You think you could do that? And it's a myth that you believe. It's a lie that says I can have more fun by myself. I can enjoy more alone. Now I get some of us are in, in, introverts. Some of us severe introverts. And so, yeah, your battery might recharge alone, but that doesn't mean you always have to be alone. It just means you need to make sure you get some alone time so you recharge. That's what it means. I'm not saying 24-7 you have to be with the body because that would kill some of you. <laughs> but, but the point here is, please, let's start including the body in your weekly routines and activities. And let's begin to act like the body. Okay, let's move on to prayer quickly. You do not have because you do not ask. James clearly speaks to us the power of prayer. And he tells us that if you're not praying, it's a disadvantage to you. Now, prayer is not all requests. Like, it's spending genuine time with God in relationship. I would say that's what prayer is really about. However, he invites us to ask. Ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. Why don't I have? James says, well, because you don't ask. Later in James, he says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, that doesn't mean righteous unto salvation, because Paul said in Romans 3, there's no one righteous, not even one. That's not what that means. It means you're walking with the Lord, you're repentant, and you're seeking to walk by His Spirit. doesn't mean you're perfect. doesn't mean you're righteous unto salvation. It just means you're not enjoying sin outwardly and saying, I don't care. I'm just, I don't care. Don't expect God to answer your prayers. Like if you're living in sin and you're so discouraged that your prayers aren't being answered, James is going, it's the prayer of a righteous person that God is going to answer because those prayers are powerful. Power. Again, not righteous unto salvation. It's that you're living a gospel life. You're repenting quickly. You're seeking to walk by the Holy Spirit. You're not actively pursuing the darkness. You're not, when the Holy Spirit convicts you, suppressing that. Well, let's not talk about that. God starts to open one of those closets, and you're like, shut that. I don't want to keep that, keep that door shut. Okay? Don't expect God to be just miraculously moving through your prayers. Prayer. So here's the questions. Are you praying for the leaders in your church and the fellow members of this church? Are you praying with the leaders and fellow members of this church? So we don't want to just be praying for, we want to be praying with. And I've found, how many of you have found this? That when I seek to pray by myself, all of a sudden I'm not praying and I'm thinking about something totally opposite. Tim Keller said that it's much easier for him to preach than it is to pray. And I'll say, amen. 
It is so much easier for me to stand up here and to speak for an hour, hour and a half without losing one thought than to sit down and pray for about 20 minutes. All of a sudden, I'm thinking about Fig Newtons and Grande Dark Roasts and what I got to do. I'm serious. So it's a fight, and I'm telling you that so that you can say, okay, all right, I'm with him. So what are we going to do? Are we going to fight to pray, or are we going to give up? Fight to pray. It's worth it. And you know what? I found that when I pray with someone, live or on the phone, I don't lose that train of thought. I don't get distracted. I don't know why. I just don't. But often when I'm by myself, if I'm not writing, if I'm not typing out a prayer, I am just all over the place. I need to write or to type to be focused. I've never been diagnosed with ADD, but I wonder sometimes. But if I'm praying with you on the phone, I'm, I'm in. I'm focused. So I hope that's helpful. Are you, are you praying for generous givers in the church? Some of you are like, I got nothing to give. I got a little to give. Okay, pray that God would send generous givers. If you can't be generous, pray that God would send generous people in. Please. Are you praying for the lost to be reached through the members of this church, for your neighbors, for your family, for your friends? Are you praying for lost people to be found? Are you praying for the maturity and growth of the people in this church and for yourself? Are you praying for the love that is commanded of you? Love your neighbor as yourself. And you say, that is impossible. And Jesus says, I know. Without me, you can do nothing. So you need to ask for it. And if you don't have love for people, guess what? Maybe because... You haven't asked. And so it's not weird to say, God, give me a love for this person because I don't have it. It's not wrong to pray that. Yes, you're confessing that you're in sin by not loving them, but when you ask, you receive, especially for something you know that's clearly commanded of you. Are you praying for the love of people in your life and in your church? Will you pray for the mission of this church and for this church's core commitments as we move forward? Okay, spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what? For the common good. So your gifts are not for you. They're not for your glory. They're not, and, and, and listen, I know what this is like experientially. You cannot get a high off of people saying good job from using your spiritual gift because you know what you're going to crash you live off the joy of serving God by serving others in the gifts that he's given you and yeah you can receive a thanks but don't live off of it don't receive life from that because you will be crushed Okay, so what are the gifts given for? They're given for others, for their good, for the common good. And listen, to our local body, God has given you gifts to serve the people right around you. And I wonder if any of you are using the gifts God's given you to serve the people right around you who are connected to your church. He's given us gifts for the common good. 1 Corinthians 12 12 and 27. For just as the body is one and as many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. So you're all members of the body. And you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This is membership. So God is calling you to commit to a local church. If you're like, this is my church, he wants you to commit to membership. Because you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So there is a local body and there are individuals in it, but together we are the members. And so if you're going to say, yes, this is my church, we want you to commit to formal membership. You're saying by committing to membership formally, I'm committed to these people. Not to Eternal City Church and its structures and systems and website the people you're committing to the people and you're committing to the leaders the shepherds to shepherd your soul and to hold you accountable and to push you further and to equip you membership 
Will you commit to this church? Listen, we need guys to step it up. We need to step it up and say, I'm committed. Some of you have been, been here for a long time. And, and yes, we just figured out membership and how that works, okay? So I apologize. But now's the time. Now's the time to commit. Cheerful giving. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I can't make any of you give to this church financially. I can't. And I won't. Because that would not be to your benefit. Rather, God wants you to give cheerfully as if you actually enjoy loosening your grip on your cash. So rather than grievously putting it in the plate or grievously clicking that button on the internet and being like, man, that's a steak at Outback. That's a new sweater. Rather than thinking what you're giving up, rather think, man, I get, to, I get to fuel God's kingdom. Listen, the resources by way of the money is the fuel that runs the kingdom of God. Do you realize that? And when you fuel the kingdom of God, your money is eternally invested and you will be rewarded with eternal reward, not temporary. Do you realize that? Practically, listen, the rent in this church is going up to $1,000 a month. This month starting. And some of you don't give anything. Please help us just to cover the rent. Okay? We want to do more, trust me. We, we want to do a lot more, but we need resources. Like You can't do legit, you can show up at Panera Bread and do a Bible study for free. We could do that, but that's not what we're doing. We want to plant churches in the future. You know what that takes? That takes trained leaders, which cost money, and that takes resources to send people out with, and that takes people committed to send out. We're never going to get there if you can't even give a dollar. Okay, now I'm not trying to guilt some of you, but I'm just saying, please, invest your money eternally. If you believe in what we're doing here, please, God loves a cheerful giver, and he doesn't want you to be reluctant, and he doesn't want you to be compulsed, compulsory, like forced to. And so a friend and I, uh, who's in this room, we're talking about money today over the phone, and he gave this helpful uh, illustration to me. He said, he said, you know what, many people don't save because they don't save on the front end of their check. Rather, they use their check for whatever, even if it's your AT&T bill and your Verizon bill and your gas bill and your light bill, and then they try to save off the back end, but you know what? There's never anything on the back end to save, and you're like, why can't I save any money? Well, because you got to take it out on the front end. Listen, the same goes for giving to the church. You have to decide on the front end, and I would argue before you even get the paycheck, I'm going to give this percentage no matter what, and it's coming out right after taxes, and for most of us, taxes come out first. And you just need to decide, I'm doing a percentage, maybe it's 1% of your income, that's the local tax in most counties. Now in Penn Hill, sadly, it's like 1.75, I'm sure it's going up. But listen, could you commit a percent, 1% to your church of your income? You figure that out ahead of time, you say, what's 1% of my paycheck? And then listen, I think that God, as you sow generously, I think you'll reap generously that he will increase the money you give so that you can go up to 2%. And then you could go up to 3% and 4%. And you can continue to give and fuel the kingdom of God. Because listen, it's all his to give. Do you think he's being stingy with you? Or do you think maybe you're not managing his money well? And so he's not going to give you any more to manage because you're a poor manager. Listen to the two giving messages, okay? I'm not going to give them again, but just go back and listen to them online. All right, let's move on. So we had giving. Next, we have leadership. Leadership. This is for the mature Christian. Why do you say that? Leadership is for those who are, one, meeting biblical qualifications. Who are these people? Elders and deacons. 
Those are the two offices of leadership that the New Testament lays out. There's elders, there's deacons, and there's members. That's it. So listen, you can't be a deacon and you can't be an elder until you're first a member. We're not going to have deacons and elders who aren't members. There's a process here. And so, one, are you committed to the body? That's step one. Are you in the life of the body? That's, that's the first step. So, so where are you at? Are you, are you connected to the body? Okay. What, what's step two? Do you remember? Prayer. Are you praying for the body? That's part of being connected. It's part of proving that you care for your church. What's step three? Step three is spiritual gifts. Have you taken the spiritual gifts assessment test? And are you using your gifts to serve the body? That's step three. We need you to serve. So are you at step one? Are you at step two? Are you at step three? What about step four? Are you a member of the church? Are you moving into membership? So you got to go one, two, three. Then you step into membership after you've taken the spiritual gifts test and after you've begun to serve in some way. Number four, are you giving? Members are going to be required to give. Now, we're not going to say you got to give 10, 20, 15%. It could be 1%. We're not going to press you to give a certain amount. But listen, you got to be in the practice of giving because the Bible puts that on you in many different ways. Many different ways. Go back and listen to the two messages on giving. And then, if you've made it that far and God has called you into the two offices of leadership in the church, the elder and the deacon, then we're going to have a, a formal assessment for you that just simply goes through 1 Timothy chapter 3 and see, okay, do you feel called? Do we see this in you? Okay, let's, let's start this process so that you can come into official leadership in the church. So the question is, where are you at? Are you at one? Are you at two? Are you at three? Are you at four? Are you at five? Here's number six. Keep your life. This is uh, the writer to the Hebrews talking to the Hebrew church. Keep your life free from the love of money. Interesting. And be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So how do we keep ourselves from the love of money? Well, we can maybe give some of it away. We cannot depend on it as if it was our only hope. Because God said, I am your hope. Hope in God. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, not money. Is God your helper or is money your helper? That's the question. I will not fear what can man do to me. That's the uh, Hebrews writer quoting Psalm 118.6. And so we're giving. All right, let's move to verse 7. Leadership. Remember your leaders. Elders, deacons, those who spoke to you the word of God. And listen to this. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And so why did I say you got to get one through five before you can enter into leadership? Because you got to lead by example. Like, you can't be a leader and not a member and then tell someone else, you got be, to become a member. Well, you're not a member. You, you can't be a leader and say, hey, we need you to start being generous to this church. And they're like, you don't give anything to the church. So you got to be committed and leading with your life, not just with your words. I don't care if you're a scholar. you got to lead with your life so that this verse can be lived. Consider the outcome of their way of life and what? Imitate their faith. Did you know that God regardless of what you think, has designed human beings to grow and to be led by example. You will grow much more effectively if you are following someone's lead, if you are connected to a person and not just ideas, than if you were to just go off of concepts and ideas and philosophies and theories God has designed you to grow by being connected to people. And so leaders have to be really leading, not just a title. So that Paul can say, follow me as I follow Christ. 
imitate their faith. And so listen, I, I want this for you. We have, I think biblically, females and males could be deacons. So listen, the deacon, the diaconate, you like that word? That's open for all of you. Not everybody is called to the office of elder, but some of you are. And you just need to get one through five down so that you can get into that office. But any of you can become a deacon. It's not barred from anyone in the church. And so what, is, what does maturity look like? It's very simple. It looks like you moving through those steps and leading, beginning to lead and say, follow me as I follow Christ. That's what I want for every one of you. I want every one of you to be able to be this person, imitate my faith journey. Every one of you, I want you to be able to say that. We're called to a high standard, but you know what? The Holy Spirit is able to enable you to be able to say that in truth. Imitate my way of life. It's not calling us to perfection. That's impossible. But it's calling us to a life of faith. Okay, so we're done with this little section. Let's now quickly move to where are you? So so I want you right now in this moment to think, where am I? in that one through six. Am I connected to the body? Am I praying? Am I a member? Have, have I taken the spiritual gifts test? Am I using my gifts to serve? Am I giving of my money? And am I moving towards elder and deaconship? Where are you on the steps? You're somewhere, and we want you to go from wherever you are, maybe you're at zero, we want you to move to one. Maybe you're at one. We want you to now move to two. Maybe you're at two. Like, like maybe you're praying. Okay, that's awesome now that you're praying. Let, let's see you move into uh, spiritual gifts and serving with your gift. Oh, oh, you're serving with your gifts. Let, let's, let's now move you into membership. Oh, fantastic. You're a member. Let's see you start fueling the mission of God. Oh, man, you, your life is on point. You are... Let's see you move into becoming a deacon or an elder. And now let's see you serve as one who equips rather than being on the other end, the equipping. Not that you don't serve with your gifts, but I'm talking equipping. Okay, so, so all of you know right now in your mind where you're at. One through six. And, and I want to encourage you by the, by the Holy Spirit, please, let's move up a notch. Let's move to the next level. I want to help you get there. Eddie wants to help you get there. We have tools to get you there. Okay, the church of God. This is the last point. It'll be very quick. Acts 20, Paul is calling the Ephesian elders to himself for the last time. We went over this passage um, previously, but I'd never highlighted this point. So Paul is calling the Ephesus elders to the beach. And he says this to them, pay careful attention to yourselves. Okay, elders, pay careful attention to yourself. Watch yourself closely. Examine yourself to make sure, one, that you're meeting the qualifications, but also as you're watching yourself, your life and doctrine, you're also watching the flock. Pay careful attention to yourselves and the flock. What is a flock? (laughs) It's weird. It's a collection of sheep who are part of one flock. So this verse assumes that you're part of a flock and you have a shepherd. You You see how it's implied? So listen, if you're not committed to a local church, you're not in a flock. And therefore, you really don't have a shepherd. So if you're not committed to a local church, you really don't have a pastor. You don't. Not biblically. Because that pastor is not going to give an account for you on Judgment Day. So you need to commit to a body. It doesn't have to be this one, but you do need to commit somewhere so that you can be a part of the flock and so that you could be carefully paid attention to with the systems and structures of that local church. And if this is your local church, please, we're ready. 
We're ready for you to move into that next level in which, listen, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So listen, elders are made elders or pastors by God himself, by the Holy Spirit. Listen, when I was a kid, this is the last thing I wanted to do with my life. If you'd have said to me when I was like 23, hey man, in fact, people did say this to me several times. I think you're going to be a pastor someday. I'd be like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm going to start a business. I'm going to do music. I'm going to do art. I'm going to do all these things, but I'm not going to do that because that sounded horrible to me. And to be honest with you, I saw all pastors as nerds. I don't want to be a nerd. And now I'm a nerd. I love books. What happened to me? So listen, here's what happens. The Holy Spirit calls you and you can't resist the call. That's what happens. You might try to run and God's got a long arm that he could just grab you by the back of your shirt and just go, get back here. Even though you've ran to Nineveh. So listen, I don't know who the Holy Spirit's going to make an overseer, but I think some of you he's going to. I think he's going to make you an overseer. And you know what? It's him that's going to do it. So, the Holy, so, so you need to have confidence in the elders of your church because if you don't believe the Holy Spirit, God himself, the third person, has made them shepherds or uh, shepherds over the flock, then you need to go to a different flock so that you can have shepherds that you believe God has called them. That makes sense? Like you have that option. But if you believe that this church has elders called of God and empowered by God, then why not commit? So that you can be a part of the flock. Why? What do those overseers do? Overseer is um, what elders do. They oversee the flock. They see over it. And what else do they do? They care for what's the flock? The church of God. The flock is the church of God. The local church is a local flock. And the pastors are the shepherds. And so the question is, are you in the flock? Or are you just coming to hang out with the flock? Now, we love you if you want to hang with us. We do. I'm serious. Come hang. Bring others to hang. But listen, you better be committed to some flock. Come hang with this one, but if you're not connected to any flock, you're in danger because you're outside where the wolves are. Like Paul tells the Corinthian church, the one who's in sin and won't repent, kick him out of the flock so that Satan can have him. And we're like, ah, that's, that's superstitious. That's Halloween stuff. No, if you're not in the protection of the flock, you are subject to Satan. You better believe it. I'm not trying to scare you into the local church. I'm saying you better get into a local church somewhere. And again, I'm not trying to make you commit to this church, but you better commit to some church. Amen? All right. Now, this is what's important. Why is the church so important? Why is the flock so important? Why is it called the church of God? Why? Because he obtained it with his own blood. He said, this flock is so important to me that I'll pay for it with my blood. All who came before me were hired men. And when the wolves come, the hired hands run. But the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And listen, there was a day when a pack of wolves took down the good shepherd for the salvation of his sheep. I'm part of that flock. Are you? There is a flock of God that exists, and it's those who are bought with His own blood. And He has set up for you, for your good, for your joy, for your growth, for your equipping the local flock. He says, I've bought you with my blood, and I've given you the opportunity to be a part of a local flock so that you might be protected, so that you might be cared for and paid attention 
to pay careful attention to yourselves and also the flock. And so here's the, here's the big question. It doesn't matter if you're part of the local flock if you're not a part of the big flock. Like, you're not a sheep even. You might be a wolf in sheep's clothing, but you're not yet a sheep. So Jesus has laid down his life so that you might have life. He was taken down by a pack of wolves so that you could be protected. And that's the important thing here. And then here's, here's the last passage that I want to show you. This is John 13, 34 to 35. This is Jesus' people, and he's giving them his instructions as he's about to leave. John 13 through like 19 is the Last Supper and on the way to Gethsemane, on the way to the cross. It's a massive section of John that's devoted to like the last night. So he had just washed their feet. He strips down. He puts a towel around his waist. He washes their feet. And then he gets up, puts his clothes back on, calls out Judas. Judas leaves. And as soon as Judas leaves, he says this to the remaining 11. A new commandment. Hmm. A new commandment. I give you. What is it? That you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. What did he just do? He just stripped naked, put a towel around his waist. That was getting very low in that culture. That was like the most humiliating thing that you could possibly do. And he began to wash his disciples' feet. Jesus says, I'm commanding you to love like that. Now, now who are you going to love if you're not connected to a body? That's the question. Yes, you should love your husband and your wife and your children and your nieces and nephews and, and those in your... But listen, your church, love one another just as I have loved you. And what will happen? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now listen to this. When, when the world looks in on the church loving one another, they should say, those gotta be Jesus people. Not just Jesus people. Like, who are you? I'm a Jesus person. Not, no, Jesus with an apostrophe owned people. You're Jesus people. You're his flock that he bought with his blood. And when the world looks in on that, they're like, this is crazy. And you remember a couple weeks ago, I said that Francis Schaeffer, who is an apologist evangelist, dead now, he said that the, the church of God is the final apologetic. Well, I, I kind of crunched that quote down and, and made it very one-liner. <laughs> Listen to the whole quote. Francis Schaeffer in The Mark of the Christian, it's a book, he said this, let us be careful Indeed, to spend a lifetime studying to give honest answers. There is a rightful place to study in the Christian life. Study to show yourself approved. But after we have done our best to communicate to a lost world, still we must never forget that the, uh, that the final apologetic which Jesus gave is the observable love of true Christians for true Christians. What Francis Schaeffer just said was when the world looks in after you've evangelized, after you've given them the arguments, after you've uh, shown them that what they think is actually wrong and not rooted in truth, but rooted in midair. There's no foundation. There's nothing hanging from. There's no weight to this. You realize your, your whole life is suspended in midair. In other words, that's impossible. Once you've given them all the answers, when they look in on the church of God loving one another, the way Jesus just commanded, John 13, he says, that's the final apologetic. In other words, that is often what's going to convince a lost world. Okay, there is something different here. They don't just know how to argue. Though they do know that. 
They don't just know their Bibles, though they do know that. Man, these people have some kind of otherworldly, supernatural love for one another that I've not tasted out here. Can we be that church? Because listen, we've been loved that way. He laid down his life for us. Can we get low and lay down our lives for one another? May God help us. Let's pray and let's take communion together and remember the church of God that he purchased with his own blood. Pray with me. Father, thank you. Thank you that you did not leave us to ourselves. You did not leave us to pursue our preferred darkness. Rather, you called us out of darkness into the light. And you've given us the gift to be a part of a flock. Please, Father, I pray that we would see the church as your church. Jesus, that you purchased with your own blood. Holy Spirit, would you make these things real to us? And would you, would you draw us to maturity? Would you push us to that next level wherever we find ourselves tonight? And as we celebrate what Jesus has done, that we might no longer be outside the flock, but inside, would you be glorified? And would our hearts be warmed with affection for Jesus, for taking our place? Father, for you, for sending your Son, and Holy Spirit, for you, for making it all alive and active. So help us tonight as we sing, as we celebrate what Jesus has done. We need your help. Continue to be present among us. In Jesus' name, amen.